The Prairie Outpost is recorded in Winnipeg, which is located in Treaty 1 territory, the home and traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, Innu, Cree, and Dakota peoples, and in the national homeland of the Red River Métis. Our drinking water comes from Shoal Lake 40 First Nation in Treaty 3 territory. Okay, so this is a bit of a long time no see episode. Uh, the uh, last time we've uh, recorded uh, one yeah. of these Prairie Outpost uh, podcast episodes was all the way back in November 29th, 2020. 2020 was a difficult year for a generalist policy and politics podcast with most of the news being dominated by COVID-19, and neither me nor my co-host Willie at the time were or are epidemiologists. Well, COVID is an ongoing reality and issue, it's no longer the only story. So starting a podcast again, I think I think it's time. The new approach will likely involve more rotating co-hosts and guests, Willie will probably co some future episodes again as well, but we might spread that work out a bit more. Uh, the new schedule, which I'm going to try to stick to, is releases the first and third Monday of every month. And uh, I guess that means that now is as good a time as any to uh, introduce our co-host today, which is uh, Glen Elm resident Michelle Durand-Wood, uh, and he's going to chat with me about the city's election in October he writes a blog called Dear Winnipeg as, then, as Elmwood Guy. Uh, so hello, Michelle. Hey, Dylan. How's it going? Good. Yourself? Uh, amazing. I'm, I'm super psyched to be here. I've, I've never been on a podcast, so this is like a, a new thing for me. So I hope I, I hope I don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm flattered to be your like first guest you know, first co-host uh, since uh, starting it up again, so this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, as I uh, said in that little intro, uh, uh, we uh, had a uh, city election here in Winnipeg uh, back at the end of October. Uh, what, what was your general sense of, I guess, the campaign and the candidates and all that jazz? I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like already, like it feels like an eternity ago? I, I mean, it was just like barely a month ago, but to me, it just feels so far away already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the 10-year really changes, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, you, 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 uh, you know, it's a lot of big activity up until the election, and then I feel like November was kind of like a, a recuperation month. But yeah, no, I, uh, oh, it's cool. I, I, um. I mean, what, what do you want to talk about? I, I got a lot of I got a lot of opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it it was, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I guess one one thing that came up as a well as a bit of a uh, wedge, uh, at least between uh, the top two candidates, was property taxes. Uh, and I'm sure you're uh, aware, you, you know, uh, Gillingham had his uh, specific rate increases that he, uh, uh, and front for both property taxes and frontage levies that he was proposing. And Murray wanted to do the tax freeze again, like he did in the late 90s. Uh, uh, a few days later, he said he'd do some things with business taxes to raise revenue, but that was uh, uh, quite an quite a proposal. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. A lot to unwrap. But like one one is like, I mean, Gillingham came into that with like kind of an advantage, right? If you've been like the finance chair for like what was it like six years, um, you kind of got an edge on like budgeting already, right? So you already know. <laughs> Kind of where things are at in the operating budget and so it's a lot easier for you to be like oh we'll need this much or, or whatever just to keep our heads above water um you know so so murray was a little bit at a disadvantage to start there i think i mean the other thing i feel i, I just just my impression overall i just felt like murray was the murray was a little bit trying to be too much to too many people and so mm. he was just trying to like 
throw in a lot of like policy ideas that would have as, ma as much of a broad appeal as possible. The reality is, and I mean, I blog about this all the time, if you, if you have looked at the city finances in, in any kind of detail, it is very, very obvious that we are in a very, very bad spot and it's continuing to get worse. A lot of it is locked in from like just decades of bad planning. So mm. if we like did everything right starting today, there's a lot of like latent bad decisions that are just going to work its way, work their way through the system over the next couple of years. So, you know, inevitably we need some sort of tax increase you know what the amount of that is is you know still needs you know might need to be calculated but like inevitably i think we can expect um some tax increases going forward just just to keep our heads above water mm -hmm. um you know like uh, you know and the, we gotta look at like what you know d again there's a lot of factors one is just the municipal price index um that that you know is 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 um, still is, is similar to the consumer price index, but with municipal basket of goods, mm. that that is increasing. Obviously, inflation has has some effect on that, so we're going to need to keep up with that. On top of that, is is just growth in, in services, uh, but again, coupled with just these bad decisions from past decades catching up with us, we're going to need to increase our taxes just to keep our heads above water. So I didn't I didn't feel like a tax freeze was a very viable. Um, a very viable policy <laughs> suggestion, <laughs> uh, but again, I, I don't, I, I didn't get the impression that that, that was a, a serious promise from Glenn. <laughs> kind of felt that was maybe a, a trying to pander to a certain group to see if we can get some votes in. Um, uh, you know, again, that maybe that may be cynical of me there, but but um, yeah, to, to me that's kind of the thing. And 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 where again, Scott Gillingham had a bit of an advantage is, is exactly in that. He had sat in the finance chair for, for six years, so he had a, at least a, a sense of where it should be. I don't feel that even three and a half or whatever he was promising is, is going to be enough to keep up, uh, especially if he's expecting to increase road spending or increase any kind of spending in any of the areas. Um, I think it's going to require more of an increase just to maintain the services as they are. Um, but again, you got to have a good understanding of the city's balance sheet to kind of recognize that, um, which... Unfortunately, I don't feel like there were a lot of candidates that felt that really grasped that portion of it, which, again, is not a knock on any particular candidate. That's just like um, an understanding of accounting, which is not a not a common thing just in general. Right. So uh, it's, it's not surprising that, that you won't find that in candidates either. It's just not the general population doesn't, yeah. doesn't have a firm grasp on that. It's just not it's not a. It's a specialized skill, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and not just any, any accounting, but yeah, city, uh, yeah, city, accounting. yeah, yeah. Not for sure. Yeah. So, did you? F I guess a lot of uh, <laughs> now. Uh, I'm an urbanist, and uh, I'm pretty sure you you'd call uh, accept the badge. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I of course, like, um, I, I haven't, I've, I've come to urbanism from a, a very pragmatic place. Like, I, to me, is, 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 was, uh, it started from just in my neighborhood seeing sort of this sort of decline in Elmwood, right? Seeing our community, the Kelvin Community Center closed, seeing the state of our sidewalks, the state of our streets, the state of our just every public service <clears throat> that's municipally provided. I just in decline and, and not you know, kind of asking myself the questions, well, how do we get anything out here? Um, you know, and then seeing you know, announcements for Winnipeg's, you know, most expensive recreation project ever, right? And meanwhile, our stuff is closing and, and just having questions about like why, why that is happening, right? And, and, and looking at it and being like, wait, like Elmwood Park, used to have a gardener on staff like decades ago. People used to have their wedding pictures taken in Elmwood Park like decades ago. Like, there was a point in time where we could afford that kind of stuff and to afford to have you know, nice bus stops and nice roads and nice communities. And we, we were able to spend that. And now all of a sudden we're, you know, decline, decline, decline. We're in a place where like, oh, well, it's just a matter of priorities. You know, that didn't really sit well with me. Like if we can afford everything, we don't need to prioritize and just pay for stuff, right? But but we got to a point where we're like we're cutting and cutting and cutting and and I was looking for answers for that. I was like, why is it that, that we can't afford the stuff that we used to be able to afford? Why why can we no longer afford a gardener at Elmwood Park? 
right? Where we used to be able to afford it. And, and so it led me down this sort of like financial examination of how we build cities. And it led me to the sort of the strong towns movement and to look at like or city balance sheets, right? They talk like one of the things that <clears throat> we hear a lot with, with city budgeting is, is the operating budget, right? We, oh, we balance the budget. We, you know, da, 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 that, that's, that's what we're focused on is the operating budget, which is kind of like the income statement of, of a business. Um, and it's, I understand why the focus is there. It's because just as a like general member of the public or even as a politician or as the media, it's, it's intuitive, right? We, we understand how that works. It's, you know, revenue minus expense, you know, equals surplus or balanced or, or deficit. And so it's easy to understand. And, and that's why we spend so much time on it. What we don't look at is like the city balance sheet, right? And, and that's, that's, that's the problem that, that, um, you know, we haven't looked at it in decades and in, and how it's connected to the operating budget that, that, that the, capital budget or, or the opera or the balance sheet is, is really just um, operating budgets from other years brought into this year right and, and looking at it that way then you can see how decisions today or decisions yesterday or decisions you know 10 years ago factor into what is going to appear in our operating budget and and how decisions yesterday force us into a certain path that to me was like really eye-opening and to see because people talk about like ah oh, urban sprawl urban sprawl urban sprawl and you know it costs the city so much money and, and it, you know it's it's bad or for whatever reason we never talk we always talk in like general terms about it nobody ever gets into like specifics right but when you look at the accounting side of it you can actually put numbers to it and you actually see put it on a graph and be like oh wow like these are the actual dollars this is how we're bankrupting ourselves right when we make a bad decision on an overpass or on a road expansion or on a, a new development how it feels like we're richer when we do it but it's you know 30 years later when it starts to need maintenance that all of a sudden we are now forced to take that money out of our operating budget um and we have to start cutting services so we've been doing this for decades right we just cut services cut services you know, people want to blame it on the on the tax freeze for you know whatever amount of years it was and then the reality is that did obviously didn't help mm. but it's again not not the driving force behind it and and so that's how i came to sort of see it through the financial line to see that you know, people talk about oh urbanism and it's such a it's better for quality of life or it's more equitable or better for the climate or all these other reasons you know and you know oh well we need to shift to active transportation or transit and you know, and, and unfortunately, the conversation out there is about sort of this, um, you know, preference, you know, as, mm. oh, well, I, you know, well, you, maybe you prefer to ride a bike, but I prefer to drive my car, or maybe you prefer to live in, in, in a, you know, a central neighborhood, but I prefer a big yard or whatever. And, and, and that's fine. And you're not going to get anywhere that way, right? With pref just preferences. But the reality is, when you attach costs to your choices, your preferences, your preferences change, right? And so to me, it was really about yeah. like, examining the costs of the choices that are presented to us and and seeing that like it's not about whether we prefer to have more people biking or prefer to have more people on transit it's actually a financial necessity yep. and, and when it's presented that way to me it's it's, it's hard to argue with right like, yep. it's like if you go to a restaurant and there's no prices on the menu yeah of course you want the lobster yeah. you know but like you start to put the prices on there and you're like you know what i'm gonna have the hot dog <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're gonna be very happy with your hot dog. You'd be like, "Yeah, this is man, it's so delicious." Um, you know, same reason we don't all live in a mansion because there's a price attached to that to that choice, right? And we're yeah. Like, well, because I can't afford the mansion, I'm gonna live in what I can, I can afford, right? And so, yeah. So to me, I came to, came at it exactly from this financial perspective and looking at what the costs of of certain choices and certain ways of building a city and 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 starting to come to understand that cities that work financially are exactly kind of the urbanist dream, right? With some caveats, because we talk, you know, I, I, I do get a, some flack from the urbanists when I when I try to explain why like density isn't like the metric we need to be using, right? That it's it's a lot more nuanced than that and that there's a lot more, more to it than just that because you can have density that isn't actually productive and that like urbanists look at it and like, Oh yeah, but you know, not that kind of density. I'm like, yeah, exactly, not that kind of density. So we need to be yeah. more precise. Yeah, and with that uh, type of um, 
uh, not that type of density. You're sort of thinking of the tower that's just yeah. surrounded by surface parking. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of like that's dense, man. You know, or like you know, 12, 12 story apartments, but surrounded by parking and everything is still all car dependent. Like most urbanists will look at it and be like, oh, yeah, but that's not what I meant. But it's like, yeah, but when you say density, like that's dense. Right? That meets, that's a checkbox. The developers will look at me like, but you asked for density. Here it is. But we know that instinctively know that's not what we're looking for. And when we do the math behind it, we're like, yeah, this doesn't pencil because still requires so much infrastructure that doesn't really help you'd be better off like of a 12-story building with like six-story buildings that take up all the space that is walkable and and mixed use right but so so yeah i don't feel that like saying density is the answer is 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 uh, is a productive conversation a because it's kind of a it's like a politically charged word at this point like people mm. just have a their own sense of what it means um to me, it's just not precise enough. It yeah. Exactly. But we can say like it's like saying like a, squ a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't necessarily yeah. a square. And if we need a square, but we're just saying we need a rectangle, um, you know, there's a, a strong chance that we're not going to get what we're looking for. Yeah. Right? Especially yeah. if we need a purple square, right? And developers are providing us with orange rectangles, and you say, well, you asked for rectangles, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so we need to get more precise in our language as, yeah. as urbanists, and 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 exactly be more detailed and in, in ex precisely the type of development that, that needs to happen and again to me i i always fall back on like sort of the financial thing of it right and so we're gonna look at like is this financially productive and the reality is is like when we copy other places that are financially productive yeah they're they will be dense but they'll also be a lot of other things right because um, the reality is we can also have not dense places that still are productive Right? We can have like a farmhouse out in rural, you know, in rural country, and it can still be financially productive. The, the reality is, it's going to have a gravel road. You're going to have your own well water. You're going to have a septic field. You're going to have a volunteer fire department, right? It's still financially productive. It still pays its own way. It's not dense, right? Um, versus like also, you can have de these dense places that are like a tower surrounded by parking and overpasses and all that. It's still not financially productive. <laughs> And again, it's still not what urbanists are looking for. Is it dense? Yep, it is. So you know, we gotta stop asking for the stuff that we. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not It's not precise enough, right? It's, it's yeah. Very. It's, uh, it's too reductive to say density. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, you know that the way that I would frame it is, density is a necessary, but not a sufficient uh, ingredient for yeah. high yeah. high productivity high amenity urban uh yeah. urban forms and communities 100%. it's like it's like an it's like an ingredient in in a, in a pizza right like it's it's fine yeah of course you need cheese but you also need a crust you also need sauce you also need you know toppings right so it's not enough to just say we need pepperoni you know, or, or whatever it is, like, I, I agree, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's necessary, but not sufficient, um, and so to just say, oh, we need more density is, is too reductive, and it doesn't address what we, we are looking for, and, and again, like, when, when, you know, people complain about places like Waverly West, well, like, the reality is, on a density basis, Waverly West is a lot denser than a lot, uh, than almost every other new development we've ever um, built, Right, and that's a hundred percent in response to sort of the urbanist argument that we need more density, right? But again, we know for sure that it does not financially support itself. We've seen the cost-benefit analysis put on a graph, and it's it's downhill, right? It does not support itself, um, and and yet it is denser than most places. So that that's that's again, it's sort of an indication that like it's missing an ingredient or two or six. Um, and so we can't just keep pointing to density. There's like a lot of ingredients that go into it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, with your sort of recap of where you're coming from urbanism, I'd say that I approach it from, I guess, a broadly similar perspective. Uh, I want, yeah, I want, uh, urbanism. Be well, because yeah, because I do have some commitments like climate that I care about, but I also want us 
as a city to be able to provide high-quality services, high-quality amenities, public services and public amenities sustainably, and the urbanist uh, project, uh, broadly speaking, of, you know, mixed-use uh, density, shops nearby, uh, uh, neighborhoods and streetscapes that are more conducive to pedestrians and transit service. Uh, I, yeah, I believe that's the, that's the way that you get to that equilibrium where you're able to sustain, sustainably provide good amenities and good public services. A hundred percent. And like, I see, like, same here, right? I live in Elmwood and, and, and you know, I've seen the decline in the, in, you know, decade and a half that I've been here. Um, and, and also just looking at like further back from that, just seeing what they used to have here and, and, and all that. And now, you know, I, I, I live in this neighborhood. My, my siblings live in this neighborhood. My parents live in this neighborhood. <laughs> and, you know, I just want a city that is going to be, good for not only myself but for my kids and and for my parents right as as they age uh my mom already doesn't drive she's never driven uh really and and my dad does drive but he's you know they're like coming into their 70s now so i i expect that there will be a day where my dad either will not be able to or will not want to drive anymore which is a day that comes in everybody's life everybody (laughs) gets to that point where eventually they either shouldn't or can't drive um, but that that's not the day that you necessarily end living, right? That uh, Just because you can't drive doesn't mean you can't do everything. If you're, if you're in a neighborhood that requires you to get in a car and drive six kilometers just to get a jug of milk, um, when you get to that point in your life where you're not allowed to drive anymore or you're not able to drive anymore, you don't want to drive anymore, all of a sudden you've lost like all of this independence. And to me, that's something that like I really... I, I worry. I don't want my parents to go through that, right? And so, so to me, I'm 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 very happy that we live in a place that is like at least has the ingredients to be a nicely walkable place. Uh, my parents already walk to a lot of services, like you know, we have a pharmacy, we have a, a, a dentist, we have you know all these services that are available. Um, and my parents can already walk to these walk to these things, and 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 the goal is that eventually, you know. They can they can continue to do that even after my dad stops driving, right? And and to me, I, I don't think that that's like an ask that is unreasonable. <laughs> I, I don't think it's an ask that like everybody can't agree with, right? Like I feel like most people would say like, yeah, that seems like something you'd want to do. Like even even anybody who ages, you know, the people we always talk about. Oh, I want to age in place. I want to keep living in my home. I want to keep, you know, living my life and, and maintaining my independence. That's kind of the problem with this sort of car-dependent um, city development pattern, right? That that you can't do that, and 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 that this sort of separation of uses and these sort of monocultured neighborhoods where we only have one type of housing, um, it, it doesn't evolve as our lives move on and as our needs change right as we you know go through life our needs change and to me it would feel like if you have built connections in the neighborhood if you really like a neighborhood like shouldn't you want to be able to stay there and, and so you know that that was a lot of the stuff that came that was to me was just another asset of like this urbanist um uh principles you know or, or of uh you know more of the traditional building pattern where you had a mix of uses close together in a in a, a walkable kind of accessibility um, that you know that also attracted me to it right um, I came at it from the financial perspective but the, the fact that it is also good for climate and it's also you know good for aging in place and it's you know provides more equity options and to me it was just like all part of the package is like oh wow great you know but you know of course. Now, everything is affected by price and, and the fact that it was like also the most financially productive place um, for a city at the same time being like more affordable for people um, to use um, was just kind of a, the cherry on top of it. <laughs> well, we have to do it for this right I, I we have a 
like I always there's a I, I don't know if you know the like the little free libraries that they have everywhere. Yeah. It's just like a little box. Yeah. So in our neighborhood, there's one that's like a little free pantry. So there's like non-perishable food items in there. So people just put in donations in there, and then anybody who needs some just walks up and, and take whatever they need. And 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 I've I've witnessed a couple of times um, people driving up in a vehicle to it, right? And that really like just breaks my heart that that we live in a city where somebody needs to own a vehicle, which, you know, on average, I think CAA says costs like $10,000 a year to own and operate, that, that somebody's forced to own a vehicle to, to participate in society, to hold down a job, to, to, you know, to, to live life in a city. And that, and that this $10,000 a year expense is preventing them from, from meeting their, their food needs. To me, it just breaks my heart to, to see that that's, that's the, the the path we've gone down, and so to me, like to see that kind of kind of stuff that we could have kind of a better way, um, you know, if, if some people could live without a vehicle, you know, you know, I always talk about like people talk about like oh, but those corner stores, they're so expensive, you know, a loaf of bread is like six bucks, and like yeah, do you know how many six dollar loaves you can buy for ten thousand dollars a year? So many, <laughs> right? Like, so I don't know, it's uh, it's a it's a, it's a lot of things to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I certainly want to circle back to that earlier point uh, about all these benefits, and you uh, discovered how it was positive for the city's finances, and that's sort of an important thing because you grow the uh, you grow the budget, you you grow the wealth, so to speak, the pie. There's more of it to divvy around to things like parks. Uh, schools living, yeah the stuff that the stuff that makes living in a place worthwhile right like yeah. like good roads and, and clean water like that's like the basic minimum bar we should <laughs> be striving for right like we that's not what makes a city great to live in it's not what makes a place great to live in right it's all the other stuff that you're like ah this is what makes it enjoyable clean water and like a transportation system that that works is just the lowest bar we can set for ourselves and 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 you know, like, it, it, again, we always come back to, like, these opinions, right? That they're actual opinions. Like, people are like, oh, I think the suburbs are ugly and soulless. And I'm like, that is an opinion, right? <laughs> that, that's not going to convince anybody that isn't already convinced. Um, and, and the thing is, is, like, there, there's, is, um, there are a lot of reasons to like, you know, the suburban development pattern. Um, just like there are a lot of reasons to like, uh, you know, a, a compact urban <laughs> development pattern. That, you know, arguing over personal preferences or opinions on, on both of these places, not going to get us anywhere. Um, yeah. Cause the reality is, is like, again, there are costs to these. Yeah. Choices. Yeah. Yeah. When you, and that's, and that's the importance of putting the trade-off, the trade-offs in because like everyone, yeah. everyone, if you quiz them, they'd say, uh, yeah, I want to live in an, a mansion in the, that's a, that's next to the MTS center. That's five minutes from my job, but that that doesn't scale. <laughs> you can't have everybody living like that. Right? Yeah, that's kind of thing. Like, well, I prefer a big yard and a big house and a you know, you know, whatever it is. Like however you describe where you live, and like that's fine. You can prefer that, but here are the costs that a aren't being covered by you that need to be covered by the city. Um, and, and, and eventually the city can't keep up and we're, it's going to fall into the, a decline, right? Um, the thing that's really interesting to me is to sort of compare to other cities in North America and to see that, like, this is not a uniquely Winnipeg issue, right? It, this is, is continent-wide that, that sort of happened, like, you know, 1940s-ish, yeah. where we sort of switched the development pattern that, was, that had been happening everywhere in the world for thousands of years, how you how we built human habitats, which are cities, right? And and that you know, well you know some cities went faster and some cities went slower, but that we're all sort of experiencing the same kind of things. And in reaction, what we're seeing is like also cities reacting to it differently. Mm -hmm. And I'm always impressed when I see like places like Edmonton and 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 and, and Selkirk. Oh man, Selkirk that, that are just really really looking at it at, from a big picture perspective and recognizing that that suburban development pattern while it has a lot of things going for it 
one of the things it does not have going for it is financial sustainability. And, and you can ignore so many things for a long time and it doesn't matter. But financial sustainability, you can only ignore for so long before it really, really kills you, right? Um, money doesn't care what you think. Um, if you are not paying attention, you will go bankrupt or, you know, and I'm not saying the city's going bankrupt tomorrow. There's, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things that have to come together before that is, but the real, the reality is we're cutting into services every year. And in a city that's growing population, that's adding taxpayers every year. We should not be cutting any services, right? The more people we add, the more taxpayers we add, we should be expanding services. We have more money now, right? But the fact that every year, every budget season is like, okay, what are we going to cut this time is an indication that we're doing things wrong, right? And, and, and again, it comes from a, an understanding of like municipal balance sheets yeah. and how that, I've, I've had a counselor tell me like, oh, the capital budget has nothing to do with the operating budget. And I'm like, oh, wow, that is, that is a problem that, that you think that. And I understand why, why a counselor might think that, why, why anybody might think that because it's, it's presented to us that way. But again, it's not... It's not intuitive like the operating budget is. But once you do understand it, then you really see how how it ties together and how it, it the one does affect the other, and how we're we've locked ourselves in for like several years of, of hurt already. Um, but yeah, that again to come back to again the suburb preference for the suburbs. It's like yeah, I I also prefer things to be subsidized for me, um, and and it's and again it's a, it's. It, we have to make, be careful that we're not vilifying anybody who makes the choice to live there because it's, of course, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a logical choice. Mm -hmm. like, well, it's available. It costs this. I can afford this. I'm going to make that choice yeah. um, because it has these, uh, you know, amenities and has these, these positives for it. And, and yeah, yeah these downsides, but those are things yeah. that we want to live with. Like everybody's just making rational yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, like some some of the really newer suburbs, like Waverly West, uh, that there's there's not as much housing uh, in the core that's designed for multi generational families, and it seems that that stuff is in right now in Waverly West. But but I think we absolutely could be building, you know, more like. I guess well, in an urban that's, context, that's a super good point. yeah, like that's a super good point is is that mm -hmm. like we're what people you know don't give Waverly West you know the benefit of the doubt for is that they do have kind of a variety of housing and, and some housing that 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 meets the needs of multi generational living um, that people are some people are looking for right and 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 we've made um, again this is part of the big picture where we we've, we've sort of adopted this thing where you build it then forget it right? and we've got regulation to lock everything in amber so once it's built we sort of have, have made it so that it's like that's what it's going to be forever right but you know people's needs change and and society's needs change and technologies evolve and, and humanity evolves and so you know to think that we could ever build any one thing that that's going to stay like that forever is, is kind of naive um, we need things to evolve, and, and, and that's the big problem we've had with, with infill is that sort of over the past 70 years where it's this sort of suburbanization where we've, through regulation, have made it impossible to adapt anything we've ever built. Um, if we made it easier, again, on the small scale, one, two, three, five units, uh, if we made it super easy to, to buy right, be able to redevelop or re, reuse, reimagine the things we've already built then you'd have more demand for that you know in, in existing neighborhoods where there's existing services and you want to have this like big push uh through the suburbs we really west again what we talked about the density aspect it's providing density it is providing a mix of different housing types although it's still predominantly single-family homes there's you're starting to see like sort of this mix of, of stuff again yeah. the big problem i see is sort of this again segregation of uses right the how the houses go over here the multifamily goes over there the commercial goes over there so so even though there are a lot of trails for walking it's still a very car dominated kind of area and so even <laughs> if you can walk it's not a kind of place you really want to walk at least not as a as a as a utilitarian walk like, <laughs> it may be nice for going for a recreational walk but but to get some groceries or whatever it, it 
it still doesn't check that box, right? <laughs> so circling this back to to the start, uh, which is our uh, mutual self identification as uh, urbanists, practical urbanists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Urban asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> the at the s- start of the election, there were. I, a lot of people I'd say, I guess we could regard as influencers or commentators in, in the Winnipeg urbanism world, as niche a world as that is, uh, who, sort of, <laughs> who sort of thought that Glenn Murray uh, was the guy with a lot of the vision and that we were, and that he, he sort of knew what was up with the city, how we had to do things, where to what direction to move into did you uh, uh w- do you have any thoughts on that oh i mean uh i don't disagree that he was definitely i don't know if you to point out one candidate that like had for like big, big ideas and and big plans like i i think definitely glenn murray was was that guy for sure you know i think bull or 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 i don't know uh, we're also looking for sort of a practical application of that so yeah it's one thing to have vision it's also uh, a whole other thing to make sure that you can deliver on that vision i mean i think glimmery did a, a pretty okay job you know in the late, late 90s early 2000s of you know providing us with sort of legacy things that are indicative of like yeah he had a big vision and he delivered on some of that stuff i i think nobody can take that away from him for sure um but yeah ultimately like i i, I felt there were a lot of candidates that did not get as much spotlight that um, also presented sort of a visionary way to look at things, but that had like policies attached to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, and 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 small steps to make it happen, right? Um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I just I I was very, ple- I mean, I'll, I was pleasantly surprised at the, the variety of ideas that were out there. Um, as well as as the 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 change in in sort of what was being presented. I mean, you look at four years ago, and like the only two candidates who stood a chance, like had basically identical platforms, with the exception of like one wanted a two point three three percent increase tax increase, and the other one wanted a one point six seven, right? And that was the only real difference between the two. Um, and the rest was kind of a status quo kind of election. And one was like, I'm Brian Bowman. And the other one was, I'm not Brian Bowman. Um, you know, to, to see the, how far we've come in, in what discussions were happening out there during the election, I feel, I feel was, is a, a huge change from four years ago. I feel like, you know, we, we heard a lot of talk about, you know, new ideas about like focusing on, on things like transit and, and the cost of, of of um you know the suburban development pattern and we talked talked about stuff about you know some candidates will fix it first and you know just like stuff that we just were not hearing at all four years ago yeah and, and so i i was very um pleased that yeah. at least that kind of discussion has sort of entered the mainstream mm-hmm. you know use mainstream in quotations maybe but you know because it takes a particular kind of nerd to follow municipal politics <laughs> to, that, to that level yeah <laughs> but, but 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 yeah like uh, i i that the, the, the discussion happening around it i feel has has shifted significantly since even four years the the fact that like you know um you know, i gave the example on my blog and 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 my wife Emma on her blog talked about it too. It's funny we wrote two posts independently about the exa- the the election, and we came up with the same anecdote about the Trees Please Coalition, where the three years ago, around the uh, around the last four year budget process, where they were trying to you know, decide, you know, they were trying to convince the public and council that we needed to spend more money on trees. And again, for me, from my financial lens like is a no-brainer like it is some of the highest returning public investments we can make is in street <laughs> trees um you know not to mention all of the other other benefits that come with but but yeah like three years ago that they were starting this citywide coalition of community groups and residents and and and, and organizations to to lobby essentially council and the public for to say like we just need more money uh, to maintain our the canopy we have and to expand it 
um, you know, they knew that like they would get asked the question, where should the money come from? And and I remember the discussion in in the people that were starting it up. I I was was lucky enough to be to witness that, and they would be they, they really thought like we should take it from Rhodes. But even at the time, they they were very like hesitant of like should we present that that way because, you know, will we be even taken seriously? To suggest that we should take any money away from capital spending on roads and put it into capital spending on trees, um, it, you know, they, they were very concerned that that would that was in, that that might be enough to just have them be dismissed as some sort of weird fringe group, um, you know, even within like a friendly room of like very environmentally minded, very forestry minded people that they were just like, Ooh, is this is this going to be a non-starter? Um, you know, and here we are three years later, and not only is that being talked about in like main candidates' platforms, but like every single mayoral candidate, plus I like two thirds of the, all of the council candidates, they all like signed a pledge saying like, "Yep, we want we want to do this." Like to me, that's just it's light years away from where the conversation was three, four years ago. Yeah, I I'm sort of so thinking. I'm sort of thinking way back to 2010. Uh, we had, <laughs> like, it was even fervor. Uh, yeah, we had last Sam Cates election, uh, and and he was like uh, running on uh, uh, status quo, uh, continue sprawl oriented development, uh, but also LRT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so that was the uh, yeah. the other caveat yeah. but but he was he was like Judy's her tax increase is going to take your home away and now we have the guy who's regarded as sort of the main standard bearer for the right right now and he's won on a property tax increase so so I guess people are sort of sort of getting that we've dug ourselves in a bit of a hole uh they're willing to help on the revenue side a bit uh, but yeah it remains to be seen if we're going to do the long-term structural things to get us on a better path exactly yeah, absolutely and, and and i mean i look at like I feel like even scott gillingham's but like one of the major promises that was on there that was like made a lot of you know got a lot of media was like his big promise like we're gonna extend Chief and we're gonna we're gonna widen Keniston, right? And those were his big billion-dollar promise, right? That was that you know you would consider to be sort of the traditional car-oriented kind of policy announcement, right? But but what we forget is that it was actually like the like caveat on it. It was like you know asterisks if a cost-benefit analysis shows that it's a good idea, <laughs> right? You know, that, uh, it, it, no cost-benefit analysis is going to show that that's a good idea because it's just not. And I think with the uh, with the Keniston one, the other ca- and and maybe this was true for the Chief Pegwis announcement. I didn't follow it as closely, but with the Keniston one, the other caveat was federal and municipal cost sharing or funds. Right, exactly. Which which the federal government has, I think, denied two requests already on, on these projects. So so it's not it's already not very promising. It, a little bit almost felt to me like a pandering kind of promise to be like. You know, people aren't paying attention, but they like this, then they're going to vote for me for this. But I, I don't want to get into like, you know, assuming intent here. But but I mean, it gets sort of gets me to the other point that I wanted to make is that, you know, like if you are a fiscal conservative, like it, it's weird that like, at the municipal basis that like it's weird that like bike lanes and trees and and, and infill have sort of been associated with the, the political left. Um, because the reality is, if you're a fiscal conservative, like that's the stuff you should be all over, because that that is the stuff that like provides, you know, a, a much bigger return on it on investment for government. It, it it enables like smaller government spending, which is exactly what fiscal conservatism wants. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, seems odd to me that this car dominated um, suburban, you know, extension. Uh, that requires massive government subsidies and massive government spending um, but that's like associated with sort of like the the, the political right like it makes no sense oh, thing, yeah it? we can we can have our cake and eat it too by by saying like look this is the cons- fiscally conservative approach is this 
you know, traditional compact mixed use urban style of development. Um, it is the fiscally conservative approach. Therefore, we can please the one side. Also, it is also the 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 uh, you know ecologically or climate sensitive option. It is also the one that gives us more more equitable outcomes. It is you know so we can please the ones on the left. It's just sort of weird to me that we've politicized these kinds of things to the point that like we don't even recognize what they are for what they are. Right? I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. People are just so habituated after sixty plus years of. The sprawl model, yeah, yeah, that that yeah, it's almost absolutely, and that's, mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing we also have to remember. It's been going on for so long. It's been going on since before before we were born, before our, our parents were born. But like, basically, like our grandparents were like little babies, or maybe not even born, depending how old we are. Um, so it's been going on for so long that, like, for a lot of us, that's all we know. Um, and so to say that, like, just to even kind of suggested like oh there's something wrong with how we've been doing it for so long is 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 a difficult uh premise to swallow for a lot of people like what this is just how things are right what do you mean there could be a different way um you know it, it, you have to kind of recognize that that, that that's you know going to take a while for people to come around to to seeing that and and that to me was absolutely the financial aspect that just like my eyes just popped out of my head and everything just clicked and I was like oh wow okay now I now I get why why this is is, is necessary and, and and why it's not uh, we can't continue like even if we prefer like, anybody who prefers the you know the, the suburban kind of extension suburban development pattern like it just it can't go on like it's just a matter of time before it all comes crumbling down um, which you know, personally, I would prefer we not go there. Right? <laughs> the sooner we can we can start making better decisions, the the, the better it's going to be. Because as again, as and this is my like bleeding heart, uh, wanting to help others kind of thing coming out. But like obviously, you know, when when things go south financially for a, a city or a municipality, like it does not get felt equally amongst the population, right? Um, it's obvious that the ones that are at the bottom of the income ladder are going to feel it first and hardest. And, and so I don't, I don't feel that's right. I don't think that's, that's, we should accept that as a society. Um, you know, the fact that like it is financially smarter to do it a, a different way that is also better for all those people that, that are already our most vulnerable, I think is, seems to me like a no brainer. Right. And I, 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 this is part of the reason for starting the blog is just to like show that we have a lot of common ground um, just as human beings and to be like I think we at the core just all want the same kind of things um, and so uh, yeah I mean and, and it's just a, a matter of, of unlearning sort of this like decades and lifetimes of of, of what we consider to be normal right that that turns out that in the history of humanity is actually a very recent experiment in how we build human ecosystem, human habitat that is the city. So, yeah. So, so with all that said, what, uh, are you hopeful, unhopeful, somewhere in between, uh, for Winnipeg, uh, with the current or the recently elected, uh, Marin council? Oh, I mean, I have ups and downs. Like I've been, uh, you know, I I don't I don't just blog. I also like volunteer in my neighborhood and work on, on a lot of different projects at my neighborhood level. That is, at its core, like I, I just want a better Elmwood, um, for me, for my family, for my neighbors, for my friends. Like I that's that's what I'm looking for. And if if we need to change some stuff at the city level to make that happen, that's just a means to an end kind of thing. Um, and so I have up and ups and downs, I think, uh, when you're working on this kind of like massive kind of project of, of changing the way a city is built or the way a city operates, I think you're going to feel some natural ups and downs. I think at this current point, I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling, I don't know, I just look at the work that's been put in by a lot of different people throughout the city and, and at different places, just... Um, you know, volunteers trying to work themselves out of a job, um, and and you know, with no budget, 
um, and, and the stuff that they've been able to accomplish in their own neighborhoods and, and also at the city level, it just makes me hopeful um, just to see that. And it, it inspires me to keep going. Um, and at the same time, like I also look at like council, the council we have is the council we have. Um, and um, there are people too. And I think if you want to like put on a cynical or, or pragmatic kind of hat, you kind of like imagine like all the professional lobbyists that are out there they don't care who sits in those chairs they don't care which council we have they're just going to work with whoever we have um and 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 get their their stuff going um regardless of who's in in the mayor's chair regardless of who's in the council chairs they're going to work with who is there and i think that's the approach we have to take as as citizens or as as residents of winnipeg who want a better city who want a, a more sustainable city for us for our kids for our grandkids um that's the approach this is you know whether you whether it's the people you wanted or not it's the people you have and so work with them and 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 i think you know like you come at it with a, i don't know a pragmatic kind of attitude that like there's gonna be stuff that you're gonna there's gonna be some wins there's gonna be some losses you see people that are easier to work with than others uh, there's going to be some personality conflicts, there's going to be some policy conflicts, um, but there's no reason to just wait another four years, right? Or, or to just wait, wait until we have the perfect council. There's, that's just never going to happen. I think, I think we just, we just need to do what we got to do and, and, and work with who we have. And, and I think, I don't know, I, again, I, I'm in a, I'm in a positive mood right now. So I, I'm going to, I give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt as much as possible, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we can get some stuff done with the council we have. I think, I think they are at their core also wanting a better Winnipeg. I, I don't think anybody runs as, you know, thinking like from a selfish perspective, I think a lot of people, most people just decide to run and eventually is like, yeah, I want to do, serve my city. I want to do something good. Um, and it just comes down to, I don't know, uh, there's differences of opinion on certain things, but, but in the end, I think, I think we all want a better city and, and we all want a city that, that thrives and that is enjoyable to live in and that doesn't leave anybody behind. Um, I, I think we all want that. So I think, I, I, I feel hopeful for the next four years. I, I, I already have had a chance to work with a, a couple of counselors uh, so far, and I have, I'm, I'm in a very positive mood um, about it. So I, I hope that that continues, but recognizing that there's ups and downs, and it'll be fine. Okay. Well, that seems as good a note as any to end on. So I'd like to uh, thank you. It's, it's kind of hopeful, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like to thank you for, uh, yeah, for uh, committing some time today, uh, and uh, to sit down, down, or maybe you're standing. Uh, I can't see you, but to commit some time, yeah, to record this and talk about the city election and city issues in general. Well, I uh, really enjoy it, Dylan. A- anytime. This was this was great. All right. Well, thank you and. Uh, Thanks to the listeners, or see you in a few Mondays.